Welcome, welcome everybody. It's Spear Addicts brought to you by Fifth Quarter. We've got Taylor from Norville Central. Uh, James and I will be going live Monday. We have a surprise guest coming on Monday with us. Um, I will say this much, it is one of the current FSU athletes. Um, but it'll be a surprise, so don't freak out. It's, it'll be a good episode. Taylor, unfortunately, can't be with us on Monday. He's got uh, – Taylor, you can tell him what you got if you want to, or just he can't be there. Yeah, I just got a standardized test on Monday, so trying to get everything situated. He's got a test to take. Um, I dropped a live video earlier right before this uh, talking about XFL, the NFL, the CFL, the USFL, um, and why it was important that those leagues are successful because only 2% of college athletes make it to the NFL. And a lot of these athletes love playing this game. Um, so I think it's important for those leagues to grow, uh, grow a fan base. Um, also think it's important for the NFL to pick all or a couple of those to be their like farm centralized error thing, or just like MLB does. They have, Farm teams all over the place. They call people up from double A, triple A, single A ball all the time. So I think it's important for the NFL to do it. I think it's important for the athletes to get the opportunity to make money other than just in the NFL. I really appreciate everybody that comes on, watches and listens to us ramble on about Florida State and our opinions on Florida State because we love this university with probably every cell inside of our body. So I do appreciate everybody that comes on and listens. Uh, we've got we got a pretty decent show uh, that's fixing to come up today. Uh, we're going to cover, you know, the like I said, the kickoffs in 36 days. We've got some recruiting uh, hopes and news coming. We've got um, what else have we got? Uh, we got some uh, players that have made award list. Um, so it's, it'll be a decent show. I do want to start off by saying, as always. Uh, it's it's a it's usually a great show when we have Taylor on his own most of them with us. Um, he's also part of Fifth Quarter. He still has his own brand with Norvell Central. I have my brand as far as Spiratus goes, but now it's brought to you by Fifth Quarter. Uh, can't thank Fifth Quarter enough for backing both of us, um, allowing us to write our articles, allowing us to release our content uh, with them backing us. Um, I think they're glad to have us. They seem to be. Um, Taylor, wherever you want to start off, um, start and we'll get the show going. Uh, do you want to start off with the ACC kickoff? Uh, hey, conferences and everything. Uh, yeah, it's be kind of a hot topic with, with a lot of different things. And the ACC commissioner, he had come on and, and discussed some of the thoughts about some of the teams navigating to other conferences and how the ACC kind of stands in the kind of the whole mixture of everything going on. And one interesting quote that he said in terms of just uh, quotes was that basically we have our teams. We're not really looking to add anyone right now. Um, basically just saying that Florida State is is kind of kind of good where they're at and everything in, in this, in this uh, term. And it just seems like, you know, he talked about the ACC is so great in different aspects, but revenue. And people talk about this thing called revenue. You know, we talk about the SEC and the Big Ten, how they generate so much revenue. And Florida State has been linked a couple of times in some potential rumors to go in otherwise. That's why I never really post it, because it is kind of rumors right now. We're trying to piece everything together. And it's all really, really new with 
everyone going on right now. You're seeing, you know, Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC, and then you're also having US, uh, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. So those are two really, really seismic waves in college football. Now, how will people respond to that is a different story. Will the ACC add a team like a Notre Dame or a, you know, a West Virginia or something like that to kind of counteract everything that's going on? Or does that even impact what's going on? I mean, would that even make any kind of waves in terms of revenue? And I'm not really sure it does. You know, but the thing is, Florida State's got to be really, really cautious about where they go with this. They have to really think about it, but they also have to understand that they cannot be slow with this. They have to react as college football reacts because at the end of the day, if you're left behind and you're one of those other two um, out of the mix of the mega conferences that are probably going to be coming to 20-team leagues, that's going to be an issue going forward. So you really have to understand everything that's going on and there were some very, very uh, questionable comments made by the ACC commissioner. And I was kind of disappointed in his thought process with some of this, but I, I did think that it was a insightful knowledge of some of the fan base to kind of expect what's going to go on in the next couple of years, the ACC with the grant of rights uh, ending in 2036. Yeah, you know, he bashed the NIL a lot, in my opinion. He, he continuously yeah. talked about it as if it was a cancer of college football. And I'm like, well, if you have such a problem with NIL, why don't you pay the athletes? Why don't ACC come out of their pocket and start paying athletes? Because the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big 12, whatever they all are, y'all have made just crap loads of money off of all these athletes over the years. You know, everybody keeps – like it's like everybody loses the concept that yeah. we're watching – these athletes play. We're not watching the ACC play. We're not watching the SEC play. We're not watching the commissioners put on their suits, come out and talk about this shit. No, we watch the athletes. The athletes are who entertain us. The athletes are who want to play this game and love this game. The ACC don't pay the players. The SEC don't pay the players. None of the conferences pay the players. So I think you have zero room to gripe about the NIL when you do nothing to help these young men and women as far as revenue goes. And everybody keeps throwing this around. Well, these schools give uh, scholarships to these players. That's how they pay them. They give scholarships. These kids ain't given anything. They earn that scholarship. It's not a gift. It's not, hey, here's your full ride for doing nothing. No, they work their tails off. They sweat. They bleed. They cry. They work crazy hours to become as good as they are at these sports. So I don't want to hear people say that they're given anything because they're not. Um, I love the NIL. I don't think it's where it needs to be yet. I don't think it's perfect by any means. But it's the only thing that we have that is starting to get athletes any type of money, which are the only ones that have not been making money off of it. So, and yeah, he it was almost like listening to – it was almost listening to it uh, – an interview from 1977, man. It was like really outdated. His thought yeah. process on where college football is and where it's going. It like, are we watching the same, the same events fall here? We're watching the UCLA's, the USC's go to the Big Ten. We're watching Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC, but the ACC's that we do great in everything but revenue. Well, I, how do I you did have a question for you in terms of like? Um, I guess you could say some of the thought processes that have. Do you forecast being like 
mega conferences coming out of this, or do you think it's just more along the lines of, you know, they're just trying to hold some of the ACC teams kind of hostage with those grand of right issues that we're going through right now? I will say this. I think there's so many ways to get out of the grand of rights, and it just it's just going to take um, six to eight teams to sit there and pull the stunt that they can pull to mm-hmm. completely get out of the grand of rights. Like there's – to me, it's yes, and everybody's like, well, why did Florida State agree to this grant of rights deal? We didn't. We signed with the ACC. The ACC is who agreed to the, the deal, not us. It's not like each school went in there and said, yeah, we'll take it till 2036. In a way, we did, but it's not all up to us on how that works out. The TV deal is negotiated between ESPN and the ACC network. The ACC network and whomever else. Like, that's how it's done. So the grant of rights deal is definitely holding the schools hostage for like Florida State can't leave because of the grant of rights deal. Singularly. Yeah. Clemson can't leave singularly because of the grant of rights deals. But if Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and uh, North Carolina, they all stood up and said, okay, we're leaving the ACC, what's the grant of rights going to do? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going to demolish, uh, you know, the ACC. Or does the ACC want to be smart about it? Let these teams out, bring in the lower-tier colleges and become the best conference for that level of play. Like, it can be a win-win for everybody, but everybody gets so damn greedy that they're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, yeah. they're going to fight it till the bitter end. They're going to be douchebags about it. So – I mean, and, but guys, look. It's hard to it's hard to say based off of one interview that you completely can't stand the commissioner of the ACC, right? It's yeah. hard to say that. Like, it's not really fair to judge him based off of one interview. But what I did get off of that one interview, oh my God, that's who's running our conference. Yeah, I don't know um, if I answered your question. I rambled on a little bit, but oh yeah, you're you're good. Um. I wanted to kind of turn it to away from the commissioner a little bit because Florida State did have a couple of speakers come on in terms of players, and they also had Coach Norvell there with, you know, Jamie Robinson, uh, Fabian Lovett, and also with um, Jordan Travis as well. And they had some interesting comments also. I mean, you talk about Jordan Travis and just his ability to be a leader, and this is something that he's really been missing these last couple of years because we talk about it all the time. It's confidence level. It's, you know, being there – and being there for the team. And, you know, Jordan Travis, he actually got asked if he was looking at at last at this season coming up to be kind of his last season in college. And we all kind of forecasted that because he's kind of um, made it known that this might be his last year because he is graduating. He is kind of moving forward. And he did say that he didn't really want to focus on that because he does believe that this is a special team, special season for the team. And I couldn't agree more. I think this Florida State team is kind of primed to really be a situation where they could be really successful. I mean, they had eight offensive starters, and then you also have eight uh, defensive starters returning from uh, this past season. So, I mean, that's 16 starters in total, and not even including the special teams, both your kicker and punter are coming back from uh, last season. So you really got a special team in front of you. Now, can they be able to generate some momentum early in the season and generate that to a more easier back after the schedule, I, I think it could be really reasonable, you know, and I just, I, I want to see how Jordan Travis does with a lot of those things because he made a comment even before that 
he wanted to stay in the pocket more. He wanted to make sure that he didn't, you know, have those dangerous lanes where he was coming in and and really trying to, you know, not really hurt himself, but he, he put himself in some bad situations. And you're wanting to see how he can kind of respond from that. And I think that you got a lot of confident guys in this room. I think you even talk about a guy like Fabian Lovett, who's been uh, basically a leader in that interior. You got a guy like Jamie Robinson, who says the defensive backfield is going to be very, very scary, and that defense is going to be a monster. And you're looking at improved linebacker play. You're looking at basically the same defensive backs being out there. The only question mark that you have on defense really is the defensive ends. But you brought in a guy like Jared Verse. You're getting back a guy like Dennis Briggs. You know, Patrick Payton's getting bigger. You also got a guy like Derek McClendon, who's uh, actually the leading uh, sack leader from last season. He's coming in as a reserve role, but coming into kind of that starting role this season. And you're going to kind of see him blossom a little bit more. Byron Turner, who got hurt before. There's a lot of different guys on this team that can be contributors, but can they piece everything together? And I think that that's something that you really have to monitor. Mike Novell talked about it before. You know, we start fall camp on this upcoming Wednesday, and we're going to have 25 practices in 31 days. It's going to be a big jump, and everybody kind of laughed about it because he talked about this is going to be a big thing to acclimate to for Week 0 against Duquesne. Not the fact that Florida State is going to struggle against Duquesne. It's just the fact of having those 25 practices in 31 days and having to really start a week earlier than everybody else because you're starting a week earlier than everybody else at that point. So really, I think it's just going to be an adjustment period. I know that we actually announced that we're going to do the uh, Jacksonville camp where we're going to kind of get a couple of days away and kind of get everything um, kind of situated in kind of a road hostile environment. But I just think Florida State is doing a really good job in kind of believing in themselves, you know, the climb, the brotherhood situation, the aspect of everything going on. You talked about Robert Cooper breaking that rock, you know, and understanding that he's a veteran leader on this team. And I just think it's very important for Florida State to have that confidence early on because everything can kind of piece together. Once you get past Duquesne, you're going straight into LSU, and it's a pivotal game. You got that bye week, and you're going to Louisville that you haven't won in in quite some time. That's a pivotal three-game stretch. I mean, that's something you really have to monitor, and I think this team is really starting to take notice of everything. And That was something that I really noticed in the uh, press conferences from just those four individuals, and I think that that's something you can't really mistake of because last season it was a little bit different. I think the mindset wasn't all the way there, but now that you have a, guy, a bunch of guys that are confident in what they do and their abilities – I think it's very good to see how Florida State can be able to kind of kind of turn the ship this season and see what they can do. Yeah, I mean, look, I thought it was hilarious, by the way. Um, Fabo was sitting there, he was talking, and then all of a sudden he lost train of thought, and he said, oh, yeah. just froze. And then it sums up with Jamie laughing, and uh, he said that he was so nervous he couldn't even lift his arms up because of how bad he was sweating. Those guys – you know, as as great as they are on the field, as as great as I think this season is going to be, they still get nervous, just just like everybody else. They are as, as normal people as normal people get. Just some of them are freakishly huge in size, or freakishly fast, or good at something. But I loved watching. Like our guys, to me, were entertaining. Um, I, I did enjoy listening to some of the quarterbacks. Like I enjoyed listening to. Um, uh, the quarterback from NC State, when he talked, mm-hmm. um, I think that the ACC's got another year of really good quarterbacks coming back. Oh, yeah. They, they've got a loaded group. And, and I think that Jordan Travis is going to be in the mix of those talks of being one of the best ones. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that if he does what he's been working on, like where he says he wants to stay in the pocket more and be more of that pocket passer type, uh, now that we have an offensive line that I believe can create that time for him to do so, that's awesome. I think that we've got weapons for him now that we didn't even have last year with some of the transfers that we brought on. I don't think this is the year for Florida State to to prove anything other than what they can control, if that makes sense. Like Florida State can control what they can control. And what I mean by that is, is if you eliminate as many mistakes as possible, penalties, you're going to be in every game. Every game you have the potential of winning. We're not, we're not like we're, you know, night and day different in talent versus NC State. It's not that we're night and day different if we play Clemson in talent, in my opinion. Now, I understand that the, the paper says that Clemson's got four or five five-star starting for them on this position. That's whatever. I got yeah. that. But they had that same paperwork last year when we played them and held with them all the way to the end of that game. Now, they have people injured? Yes, they did. Did we have people injured, though? Yes, we did. Um, I still think the biggest the biggest room for the offense is going to be the running back room. I think they're still going to be the most productive. I think they're going to be your go-to. I think it's run first, pass second. Um, I also think that if our special teams, which that's weird that VJ just said that, but I think that if our special teams improves – Man, what that could change, no muff punts, not none, but limit what we did last year, actually get a punt return, like we actually gain yards from catching the ball instead of just, you know, a fair catch every time it's kicked to us. Jesus. Yeah. We're not asking to be an elite special teams unit. We are asking to go from one of the worst special teams units in the country last season to maybe even a tick below average or average. That is what we are asking. Like, like Chris said, no muff punts. That Florida game killed, you know, people with that. The fans were just screaming at the top of their lungs because we could not physically catch a punt. And it just comes to a situation where, you know, Ryan Fitzgerald had that blunder uh, earlier in the season against Notre Dame. He missed the field goal in overtime, and we ended up losing that game. Now, since then, you know, he only missed two field goals that rest of that season. So he's, he's kind of gotten a little bit better. Now, Alex Mastromano, he averaged 41 yards per punt. That's also another, you know, kind of situation where you kind of need to get a little bit better. But he did improve. You know, he was able to get a couple of inside the 20s, and he was able to kind of get us our defense in better positions. Now, the problem is kickoff returns. We would literally take it five yards in the end zone, try to take it out and get back to the 15. Instead of just kneeling the ball, fair catching the ball and getting it back, you know, to, to where we needed to get to. That, that just kind of goes without saying that John Papuchas and also Mike Norvell are going to be looking at that this season. They're going to literally say, if you do not have it in the, you know, at the kickoffs and making sure that you can actually be able to field this kickoff return and go back, that's great. Um, it all comes down to, though, if um, Winston Wright Jr., if he's healthy, if he's able to come back. Now, sources I've talked to around his family, and he's also been confident as well, he circled that week zero game. Now, will that happen? Don't know. His, his rehabs went really well. He's been rehabbing every single day. Micah Pittman on the punt returns. He's got to be a little bit better as well. He's got to understand that also. And he's going to have dual responsibilities because most people actually think that he may be the number one receiver at maybe 750, 800 yards. 
you can kind of look around that. He's got to get more production off of that as well because his time in Oregon has not really been that great. You know, he's only had about 600 total yards of career yardage in Oregon. He didn't get past to the ball very much because it's a run-heavy offense. Will Florida State turn into that more 60-40 run split? Uh, maybe that could be a little bit better for Jordan Travis, keeping him more healthy, being sure that he can still run those read options when he needs to. He doesn't necessarily need to turn into a pocket passer in terms of that because we saw that against Notre Dame. And he stayed in the pocket consistently and did not do anything with it. Uh, you talk about the game against Syracuse that we actually had our first victory this season. He ran the ball. He actually ran it and was actually able to design some runs to get him some running lanes to run through. And I think he's one of the most dynamic offensive weapons that we have on offense. And I think that, that could be utilized very well. But just talking about special teams, it's just got to be a better product on the field, as Chris said. I think it's just got to be a mindset thing. Uh, coach Norvell talked about in his open press conference when he was named head coach. He said, we are we are going to try to do our best to place everything on special teams because that is what matters to our team. That is the core foundation of everything that we believe in. And I think that that's something that you can buy into your team. Once you buy into special teams, it's all, you know, all gravy from there at that point. And I think that that's something that Mike Norvell and John Capucci is going to definitely have to preach this offseason and I think they'll get it done to be at least an average unit this season. Yeah, I think I think on cover on coverage we'll do we'll do pretty well. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm more worried about how do I say this the right way? So I'm worried about return average, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna ask Michael Pittman to return the ball on every punt, how does that you know, guys? You can only run them down the field so many times. Yeah. It's just a fact. Yeah. So, if he's doing really well as receiver one, we need that second guy to be able to take some of those punts. Uh, I'm I'm praying that Winston Wright is ready to go. I'm praying that he's one of the options. I also think another option is Azariah Thomas, even though he's a true okay. freshman. Yeah. I do think that he's very – like, just in practice-wise, I've seen him – how do I say this the right way, too? We look so much better fielding those punts this in practice – and I'm not basing off a of game versus practice. I'm basing off of practice from the season before and the practices that I've seen this past – this summer camp, this spring camp, whatever. We're filling the ball a whole lot better. We're getting under the ball better than we were. And you remember the spring game was windy as I'll get out. Yeah. And we were being able to fill the ball better under those types of conditions than we were when things were perfectly fine in the game. It's almost like we were letting nerves get to us. It's almost like we were completely inexperienced on – Returning the punt. Anyways, I believe that you're right. I believe that Norvell and I think they're going to do a much better job on special teams this year. I don't think that we're going to be an elite special teams group. I just think we're going to be above average. And that's the reason I say that is because it's hard to go from one of the worst to the best. Now, can we go from one of the worst to a mid-tier? I do believe we can do that. Um but I believe that we have to get so, – so people are saying 700, 800 yards from Pittman. Is that what you're telling me? I think so. I, I think he's about that realm of receiving. Like, just because I think he's going to be out of the backfield as well, I don't think he's just going to be lined up at receiver. So I think you may see some some plays where it may be third down and short. And, you know, he's actually an efficient blocker. Not a lot of people know that. I know everybody focuses on the Johnny Wilson with him having the 90 PFF score. Uh, run blocking and pass blocking, but 
Michael Pittman can stand in there at 5'11", 200 pounds. Um, that's, that's something that he's really kind of utilized in his game. And I'm not saying that Treshawn Ward or Trenton or even a guy, you know, Lawrence to Philly can't be that pass catching back, but it could be a utilizing way to kind of get varying skill sets out there. And I think Pittman could be utilized in that sense. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. I think it's really weird that usually Taylor and I agree on a lot of stuff. Everybody knows that y'all watch. Um, and I think it's really weird that we agree on Pittman's, like I believe that was the seven, 800 yard range as well. The reason I say this is weird is because we were talking on the phone before we started the show, and we also agreed on uh, running backs as far as what what rushing yards we think they're going to have. I think it's going to be really close. I think that Treshawn and, and uh, Trey Benson are going to be really close as far as that matter goes in rushing yards. I am giving Trey Benson a slight advantage on the rushing yards. I said I seven, 730 to 750, and I gave uh, Trey uh Treshawn Ward, uh, 700 to 720 range. Um, so I think we're going to have two backs to do really well as far as that goes. But I think we see more C.J. Campbell this year than I think people are ready to. I don't think people realize it, but I and think I'm, you're – I'm indifferent about it. And, and the reason why is because I think he's going to be utilized more on special teams this year. Um, I didn't say in the running back. I didn't yeah. say it was on the running back. Okay, okay. We're going to see him more. Yeah, now I will say he is going to be utilized a lot on special teams. They may use him in some packages, maybe like with Wyatt Rector on the goal line. Maybe you might use him. Right. It's more a little bit more of a physical back. Uh, he is elusive. So if you do need a home run hitter every once in a while, you know, you may be able to do that. I know he'll get some carries probably against Duquesne and, and some other schools, maybe even Louisiana Lafayette later in the season. Um, but really, if you're looking at um, a guy like Trey Benson, where we talked about 800 yards, you know, through a 12-game season, 800 yards would be 66.7 yards per game at that point. So that's reasonable. And even if Florida State goes to a bowl game, if you're looking at 800 yards through a bowl game, you know, you're looking at even less. So, I mean, really, when you think about it, and you've got a guy like Dupree was talking about, he's talking about Lawrence Toa Philly, you know, how we're not really talking about him as much. Because I do think there's so many backs in this system um, I don't think Rodney Hill is going to play as much this season. I think he may no. play a little bit on special teams, but mostly he'll be utilized in the years to come. I do think C.J. Campbell, like I said, is going to be utilized more on special teams. Um, Lawrence Philly is an efficient weapon. He is a pass-catching weapon that I think could be utilized. And, and he even talks about this in some of his interviews as well. He, he needs to learn how to run through and in between tackles. It's the same thing that Trey Benson was talking about in our interview with him. And this is the thing that they have to really understand is sometimes you have to get those tough yards. And, you know, Corbin did this best whenever we were doing the Wildcat and going through that situation, getting those tough fourth and one, uh, third and two yards. You know, there were situations where we needed that. And you just have to understand that even when, when we had uh, with Damian Webb, for example, you know, gosh, everybody, you know, quits talking about him after a year because he kind of went off the deep end there. But, you know, it's a situation where we just have to figure out these these backs and having, you know, faster yardage and everything like that and being able to get those two or three yards that you really, really need. And I think that's what you have in this running back rotation. I mean, some of these guys really have uh, efficient speed, but you're even looking at a guy like Treshawn Ward last season against North Carolina in those final few minutes. I mean, that was something impressive. I mean, he was chugging down the field on third down, you know, and he even had that one where he spun off two guys to get a first down. 
and to seal the game up and, you know, win by 10. So it's just very impressive to see with that. But Lawrence Toffoli, he has not really put on too much weight, but he has put on a little bit more muscle, which you can't really see as much. I think his body's more refined with his frame, and it's been a little bit better because, as you saw with the Clemson game, he had that outstanding performance and uh, twinkle toes, Toffoli going down the sideline, as Robert Griffin III says. You know, you just have to figure out different schemes and skill sets that you have with Lawrence Toffoli, but it just has to come naturally. You can't really force the issue I wouldn't really utilize him because I think most of these backs are going to get 10 to 15 carries. I think it's going to be more of an, a co- committee approach. And even Trey Benson, when he said in our interview, he talked about how these guys are together. They don't care how much they eat. They're going to all eat at the end of the day. I just don't know if Lawrence Tough Philly is going to have that 700 to 800 yards. He may have like 300, 350, you know, and then you're also getting those receiving yards. So I think he may get 800 total yards but I just don't know if it's going to be enough to get those carries because he's a different back at that point. I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see Tofilly on the field a lot. I think you're going to see, I just think you're going to see him lined up in that tailback situation, uh, not the running back situation. I think he's going to be a a dump option. He's going to be a check option a lot. Um, Like if you're doing those quick slants and you're spreading out, the defense, you're pulling the, the outside linebacker over, you're pulling yeah. the middle linebacker back because of a tight end, then it opens up that check down over on the side of the field. I think Tofilly is going to get a lot of a lot of options to get yardage. I just don't think it's going to be in the traditional running back way. He's not going to be handed the ball to run between tackles. He's going to get the ball dumped to him is what I'm getting at. He's going to be your, your prime check down because he's got the speed. The touchdown that he scored – um, twinkle toes. That that was a that was a dump pass. Yeah, ball wasn't handed to him to go between tackles. That pass was dumped to him. That's what you're going to see him utilized in. Yeah, that play was uh kind of that wheel route that Norvell was kind of waiting on for quite some time. I mean, the offense was really stagnant prior to that point because Clemson's defense is a top five unit, top ten unit, and you know you can only do so much at that point. You know they're trying to spread them out horizontally, east to west. And then being able to kind of spread them out and spread them out vertically, I think that really helped out with a lot of different things there. I think Norvell saw that. And you're going to see a lot of Norvell's play calling this season because Alex Atkins does have to vote the responsibility of the offensive line. And that's one of the most tedious coaching positions that you have on the field. You, know, you have to always be able to be there for your offensive line. Now, will he navigate some more of a play calling responsibilities later on? I think so. I don't think Florida State's going to lose him after a year. You may lose him after two or three. I, granted, because he's got to get more experience. He's only been an offensive coordinator one year at Charlotte in 2019. So you're really trying to figure out where everything kind of sets up. How will you use these weapons? Because when I look at uh, Lawrence Tough Philly, I actually think the same about Ja'Kai Douglas. They're both kind of utilized in that same realm. You know, Ja'Kai Douglas actually was a halfback slash wide receiver. He didn't really run efficiently as a halfback primarily. They switched him over to more of that slot receiver um, tailback situation, and I think it could be a situation like this year where you have two weapons that are basically the same thing at that point. It's just who will succeed more. And I do think that uh, Ja'Kai Douglas is going to be one of my sleepers this season because I do think that he's utilized more on those wheel routes because he had an 18.9 uh, per catch average last season. And I think you know times where it was like Notre Dame and Florida when he had those big catches and even Miami when he had that touchdown – 
there, there's really good factors that I think can go into being a Ja'Kai Douglas because he can be a sleeper. But I think also Lawrence Tillafilly can kind of uh, make everything work in this offense in a crowded running back room that they have. Well, you brought up a, a great topic here that I'm going to touch on a little bit. We know your sleeper is on offense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give my two sleepers, one on offense, one on defense, and I'll right. let you get the one on defense. All right. My sleeper on defense is Derek McClendon. I think he's going to end up being the best defense end that we got. A lot of people is going to disagree with that because we brought in Jared Verse. Yep. You're getting Briggs back. I'm taking nothing away from those two guys. I'm just yeah. telling you that from what I'm hearing locker room-wise, D-Mac's taking that locker room, and people are starting to listen. He's starting to get loud. I think Dennis Briggs is the, is the next. I'm not taking anything from Jared Verse. I just don't think he's had enough time to develop as much as people thought he thought he was. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be good, just not – as accumulated as the Derek McClendon and the Briggs. On offense, my sleeper, which might be a surprise to a lot of people, is Wyatt Rector. Okay. I like it. I, I really think, do like that. I think he is going to be an actual I think he's going to be an actual just huge success this year as far as not just scoring, but I think he's gonna make just watch him. I think he's just, I think he's gonna be good. I will say this. Now, I'll, I, I, I've already said my sleeper on offense, but I want to add to your point on Wyatt Rector at tight end. Um, and this is just kind of off topic on this, but I think out of all of these tight end guys that we've added, I think we have six scholarship tight ends. We've had a couple of departures and everything. I think the best tight end out of that group, potential-wise and skill set-wise, is Brian Courtney. I will, I will stand by that. I think he's got the most – Basically, next level of success, not really NFL potential, but I think he's going to be a solid uh, college quarterback or college quarterback turned over to tight end option that you have. Now, this is a situation where he was played all over the field in high school. You know, he was played in Virginia. He played defensive end in high, in high school, and he also played quarterback. They put him wherever he needed to play. But I think he's that guy that is the glue guy that you really need in this offense, and I think that that is going to stick – to what they've had at the tight end room because you've seen guys that they've brought in. Like I still think Jackson West and Marquise and Douglas and some of those other guys are going to be successful, but I just don't know if you have that in some of these tight ends. I think they're just sticking things in the wall, seeing if they stick, and then just trying to figure out everything. But I really do think they hit a gem with that. Um, even Coach Norvella talked about earlier in the ACC kickoff, he talked about Jarrell Powers, who I think is another guy that could be – a good option. I just don't think he's going to end up at tight end at Florida State. I think he's going to end up as a receiver. So, and he's primarily a receiver anyway. They just put him at tight end right now because he's gained a little bit more weight. Um, he was that flex tight end wide receiver anyway. I think he could turn into like a Joshua Burrell if he can stay healthy as well. I think that could be a good comparison to him. I just don't think he's necessarily going to end up as a tight end. But I do think Brian Courtney, if he's able to kind of get over that hump, of being able to get to his skill set, I think can be really impressive. And that's that's no uh, no knock at Cam either, because I do think Cam in his last season this year is going to be really impressive, because when you look at Cam, as his career at Florida State has gone by, I think he had, I think it was 256 yards last season um, on, you know, just his, his season yards total. 
And it's pretty impressive to see because Coach Schoenfeld kind of added those two uh, tight end sets. He uses a lot of two tight end sets. And you saw Jordan Wilson last season had about 200 and I think it was 156 last season with him. And uh, just overall, I think that that was utilized very well. And they're going to miss Jordan Wilson. But you got a guy like White Rector who's been successful in the red zone. I think you could be able to use that so that way we can have that. But the problem is, is where do you turn to this season? I don't think Brian Courtney is going to be a guy you see much this season because I think they're going to blossom him into the next season just because I think you do have something in Wyatt Rector. He's had the experience there. He's been around the program for quite some time. You may add a guy like Jackson West every once in a while, but he has missed a couple of passes here and there. His inconsistencies have not been all the, all the way there. But I do think that there is a way that you can be able to kind of get that momentum started with with that. And I think Coach Thompson could do a really good job in kind of getting these skill sets together. But on my defensive side of the ball, if I had to pick anyone, you kind of stole the thunder with my with my Derek McClendon pick. So I'm going to have to translate it over to another guy that I think could be really, really good. And that's Kevin Knowles. I think this is a guy that he actually translated over from number 26 to number three. That usually bodes pretty well in terms of the locker room presence that they have. And Kevin Knowles has been a guy that was undersized at about 5'10". Uh, everybody was kind of knocking him on his three-star rating, but he was from the Miami area, uh, the MacArthur High School area. And just it, it comes to a situation where Florida State really has to solidify that second corner. And I even saw in the comments earlier somebody talking about Renato Green. You talked about Azaria Thomas before, who I think are both going to be really, really viable options. But you really have to find that nickel corner that's going to be successful. Now, they started out playing Jamie Robinson at that nickel corner. Now, he eventually moved over to safety, and he even talked about that in his press conference as well. How will you be able to kind of cover those slot receivers? Because you really look at it, and the last couple of years, and I had the uh, uh, the pleasure of going to look and seeing Tutu Atwell absolutely, you know, go down the field because he was in the slot and, you know, we, were, we weren't able to cover him. Now with having Kevin Knowles in there, he, like you said, he is a dog. Like he is that mindset that you really need. He will lock up any receiver that you put in front of him at that point, even if he is a little bit smaller than the guy in front of him. But just overall, I think that that's a guy that I would definitely kind of pinpoint to if he's able to do anything. I think him and Greedy Vance, Greedy is going to kind of be that depth piece at the nickel cornerback spot. I think that at those two, I think, can be really successful with that going forward there. Look, I had so many sleepers on defense that – Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I'm that gonna, defensive side of the ball is impressive. The offense, it's a little bit more selective. Yeah. I'm really impressed with our defensive unit that we're going to have even at depth. Um how do I bring this up the correct way? So I'm going to say a kid that has a potential of earning a scholarship in the next two years. That's a walk-on, and he is at the quarterback position. Okay. But when I got to see some of what he was doing, um, and hearing Coach Norrell talk about him at a press conference, um, I'm just bad with saying names. You all know this. McManera, how do you say his uh, name? You talking about uh, Dylan McManera? That name, Dylan. Yeah. yeah, that kid's solid. I'm not gonna lie. I I was very impressed with. I think he's developed a lot. To be yeah. honest, I, I was he when I got to see some of the stuff from him, I was impressed, very impressed. Um, I'm also gonna say that I, I wasn't. I was kind of confused on Duffy at spring. Like I was like, eh. 
not as good as I thought I was going to see. Yeah. But since spring, man, the development that's happened in such a short period of time, he's really coming around. He's really starting to – what's the word I'm looking for? He's he's getting acclimated to his receivers. He's really starting to understand the playbook better. Um, Tate, guys, Tate has looked good a lot in practice. He looked good all the time in practice. I don't he know what happens. Kind of everything together. That that's his problem. When he gets to a game environment, it's almost like he has stage fright at some points, and it's like he just has that pressure of being able to deliver at certain points. He has a strong arm. I think he's very accurate with the football when he can be. He's a coach's son. He's been very, you know, he's had the accolades in high school, but will he piece everything together? And as Chris said, he has really done well in practice. And this isn't just coach talk. This isn't just, you know, your media just hyping everything up before the season. No, this is literally, he has played very, very well, but can he do it? I mean, you're hoping that Jordan Travis plays over 10 games this season to where you're not able to have those backup options come in because as we know with backup quarterbacks uh it's not like you can seamlessly put in a backup quarterback and expect you to have tangible results of 10 wins or nine wins i just don't know if that's really possible you can barely do that with jordan travis as it is um right overall i mean i think that you you said it perfectly i think tate ronamaker is is a guy you can really depend on it's just a matter of getting him through that kind of situation that he's getting through right now and that's the hardest part. I know fans are not really in love with Tate Ronemaker right now because of his career at Florida State. He hasn't done that well. He hasn't even thrown a touchdown at Florida State. He's had three interceptions. He's had about 50% completion percentage, and he hasn't looked good. Now, will he take that next step forward this year? That's a different story. I mean, Coach Novelli even talked about it. He's in his third year of the system. I mean, this is a situation where he's got to get developed no matter what. Um, and I'm going to touch base on Sidney Williams. Yes, okay. uh, I, I think I think depth wise, Sidney Williams is he's definitely he's definitely taking the next step in my opinion. Um, I think he's really understanding the coverage better. I think he's he's not feeling out of place. He knows where he's supposed to be. That was his problem last year. Wasn't the fact that he's guys? They're all <laughs> we've got skill. That's not the problem. It's yeah. the problem was is getting acclimated to the play call getting acclimated to where I'm supposed to be on the field. What's What do I do if the ball goes this way? What do I, That situation. Travis J., that's the one I have the biggest question mark on. I'm not yeah. going I have a yeah. huge question mark with Travis J. Kalen Deloach, I think he's going – look, he was the most improved player on Florida State last year. Do I think he's going to take the next step and be a dynamic linebacker? I think he can be. I think when you have certain people on the field, certain packages, he can be that guy. Do I think he's going to be Derek Brooks or Marvin Jones? No, but I think he's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, if you if you can get seventy total tackles from or seventy five total tackles from Kevin Deloach, I think you would be very impressed with that because last season he had sixty nine. You're looking at a guy like Tatum Bethune that's coming into a bigger conference in a bigger situation because at UCF he had 108 total tackles. If he's able to get 75, 80, because he is a pretty good tackler, he's got decent size as well, I think the biggest thing with him going forward there is just his size. You know, that's that's the biggest thing going on right there. And that comment, gosh, let me go ahead and figure this out. Um, but, yeah, 
just a situation where you want to have different things there going there. So I'm very excited to see what happens with everything going on. So, Dude, this has been happening all across YouTube, though. I don't know what's up with these accounts. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's showing. All I can see is uh, kiss faces and stuff like that. But, yeah, no, it's weird. Um, yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> sorry, guys. This kind of threw us off a little bit. Yeah, it just kind of threw but, us off a little bit because it, uh, it just happened all of a sudden. But uh, uh, Y'all need to stop that BS, though. We don't have nothing to do. Like, we don't want to see any of that. Um, will it let you delete them? Yeah. Yeah, I'm deleting it right now. All right, cool. But... <laughs> again sorry um but i but think yeah, it, go ahead I, I was just saying like on your point about travis shea i, I think it's a situation where it's got to be consistency where do you put him on the field you know that's that's the problem that you're going to have because travis shea you know as we all know he got converted over to cornerback from free safety you know he moved over there last season you even talked about in the notre dame game he wasn't able to turn around and defend the football and high point the football and grab it. Uh, it was always just about, you know, just, okay, well, I'm just going to be there in man coverage and that's it. You know, I think there's a better situation there that you're able to put him at safety. Not saying that he starts at safety, but, you know, they do do those sub packages sometimes. They do run five defensive backs out there a lot. And I know not a lot of people want to talk about Jerry and Jones, but I do think that he's going to be – an efficient piece that they're going to put out there, at least depth-wise, that they're going to Jerry, have. Yeah, Jerry has improved a lot. I'm throwing that out there. He has improved a lot. Akeem Dent has yeah. improved a lot. Jerry, and the biggest thing with him, and a lot of people don't understand this, is he really hasn't been healthy through a lot of those things. So mm-hmm. health has been his biggest concern. You know, He even talked about before in spring practices when he had that little wrist procedure that he had. It just hasn't really been great for him. I mean, the football guys have just not been – kind to him with that and I think that there's going to be a situation now where you really have to do certain things to get successful I mean you talk about the North Carolina game he was massive in that game and you know he showed that there was a lot of good pieces there now there have been some downs in certain defensive backfield the first four games for the defensive backfield was not good um, they finally found out and got their niche together and that was when everything kind of pieced together. So once they started getting through everything, you started seeing the American Coopers. You started seeing, you know, some other efficient pieces on on defense. And you even talked about the safety duo with Akeem Dent and Jamie Robinson. I think that was huge in the last three games of the season. So really, we'll, we'll definitely see. Um, I think really that safety backfield had really gotten going against Miami. And we even yeah. saw how Tyler Van Dyke with his comments that, their media day and, and just talking about that Florida state is going to get revenge. And, you know, there's going to be a situation where we're going to get back at them. And you, you know how Miami fans are and, and Miami players at that point, they're, they're going to talk a lot of talk and they live that same delusion. Yeah. They, they're all in the same delusional twilight zone that they've always been in. But the problem, the, uh, the thing is though, is uh, if they do end up getting, let's just say Florida state, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia, in the SEC, kind of like some of these reports have, maybe Miami might actually win an ACC championship if they're if they're kind of all those teams are left out. Um, I just think it's kind of funny with with that. So we'll see. Um, 
you know, let, they, let Miami win something that matters before we say well, that. Well, I mean, they are taking away divisions in 2023, so maybe they might have a chance. The Coastal was not very uh, hard. I'll tell you this. They can win the ACC championship with Clemson, Florida State, leaving go to the SEC. They got it then. They got it wrapped. But then you got to hope NC State won. Yeah, I was about to say, what are you going to do with NC State at that point? I mean, they got to be gone. Then you win the ACC title. Uh, here's a quick one, though. Do you think head – do you think head coach Norvell will open up the playbook now that he will be doing the majority of play calling? Well, regardless if regardless if uh, Dillingham would have stayed or not, the playbook was going to get opened up this year. This is the third year they got guys in there that they wanted. So I personally think, yes, you're going to see a wider span of plays come through. Yes. Taylor, you can touch on it. Yeah, I will say that um, if Atkins does any of the plays as well, he does a lot of motion. There, There's a lot of motion involved with Atkins' play calling. He loves motion a lot. He loves throwing the defense off. Even if it's bringing an H back over, um, there's just a lot of different things that he likes to utilize there. But Mike Norvell is always going to be utilizing that. But the problem is, is he has to kind of stabilize himself with certain things because Jordan Travis – didn't really have the weapons to create separation. It's not really a knock on the wide receivers from last season, but you saw a lot of, you know, let's just go back to the Syracuse game that we won. Uh, do you know how many bubble screens that we had in that game? Uh, it was a ton. And the only interception that Jordan Travis had was because Cam McDonald missed a block on an interception and the guy picked it off. So it was basically, here. here's the play. Um, here it is. Um, and Andrew Parchman, you know, in the Miami game, at least a little bit later in the season, he was kind of able to do everything. Now, my God, the offensive line had to stick for, you know, seven, eight seconds before they were able to get that fourth and 14 playoff. Felt like, felt like ages at that point. But, you know, just kind of seeing that development, will the wide receivers be able to kind of create that that level of separation? That kind of tells you what Mike Norvell is going to do with, with situations there. Will he be able to kind of throw up some plays there? Now, kind of like Dupree was saying there, Dillingham's play calling was kind of to the offensive's demise at that point. You're only as good as your offense is at that point. If you have below average playmakers at certain positions and you have an offensive line that is getting pushed back on some pass block protections, you can only do so much. And I think that's why it's such a big thing is some of these uh, weight updates come out that um, Marquis Smith, has come up and he has got, you know, the 288 now at this point. I think or 284, whatever he's at now. He was at 271. And I think that's a big thing for him going forward. I, that was the biggest thing with him and Caden Lyles was that if Caden Lyles was not really slow or slow on his feet at that point, and you had Smith over here that was trying to figure out what he needed to do to gain more weight at Florida State, you know, that, that was the only struggle. Smith has played. He has actually done well at Florida State. It's just times he got kind of bulked over. And, you know, you saw there were times where he would literally get pushed back to the quarterback at some points. And you can't have that at Florida State. You need to make sure that everything does go well. And I think this coaching staff actually realized that. And I think now with all these different pieces that you brought in, I think the play calling is going to be more successful with Norvell calling it. Yeah, and uh... – so there was a question, has Dylan Gibbons been working on the line and cutting out penalties down – or cutting the penalties down had a lot last year. I can tell you all what Atkins has been putting the offensive linemen through and what they're going to go through for this fall camp. Yeah. Uh, yes, they have worked on it. <laughs> and, yes, I think you're going to see a much better unit as far as penalties go. 
um, yep. just because of the disciplinary situations. And I love seeing tell the candy canes the Knowles have business to take care before we play them. Go Knowles. I love that the candy canes are starting to become a thing. I'm not going to take credit that I started that because my dad had said that for years, but I'm the one that put it on social media. So I love that people are starting to use it. Another thing. I love that fake bubble screen to a wide receiver. Yep. And then threw a TD pass to Helton versus Syracuse. It, yeah, can, it, it has to be utilized in a certain mix. So, you know, there was a lot of different things that they were trying to set up the defense for, for trying to get them to kind of bite on the screens. That was a great play call, and that's something to add up. It's the same thing that I talked about with the uh, the wheel route with Toa Philly going in the Clemson game. You set them up for that opportunity. So now that you have those receivers that can create separation, you can be able to fake a screen and have a guy run up the field. You know, you can have those post routes. You can have those quick out routes that you have, those slants that you hadn't been able to create separation on. There's a lot of different opportunities that you can have with this. Um, and you're just speaking on the Dylan Gibbons thing. He did have a couple of penalties last year, but you also have to realize he was a late summer enrollee at that point. He didn't really have a whole lot of time to kind of gel with everybody going on there in the offensive line. But I will say that that left side of this offensive line this year with Robert Scott and also with Dylan Gibbons, I think, can be really, really good going forward there because that is two guys that I think are going to be really, really good. Um, and I think that's going to be your two NFL potential linemen right there. So, Yeah, I think Robert Scott has, uh, has done a tremendous job. I mean – Look, guys, how do I say this? When you get to see them improve day-to-day, the one that I'm most excited for this year, who, in my opinion, has become quicker, who has become stronger, who has become more aware of the situation, is who got to break the rock. And that's Cooper. Man, that guy has came such a long ways just in a short period of time in this offseason. I think he's going to be one hell of a leader on the defense. And I feel bad for anybody that tries to run between that tackle because he has become just – he was great last year, but he's a beast. It is, it's amazing to watch. Uh, I want to see – I'm trying to read some of these. I just want to see somebody catch a slam. Well, I will touch on this because we have talked about the Micah Pittman and the, and the Winston Wright, but we haven't talked about Johnny Wilson who is a 6'7", 235-pound receiver. The problem with him is, and you've seen this in the spring game and you saw this with certain things, is he has a lot of drops. Uh, There was a hamstring issue that he had at Arizona State. He hasn't been very productive at Arizona State. There was a lot of different injuries that happened and just a lot of different inconsistencies. Will he be able to step up and be that guy that we really need? Because uh, Kelvin Benjamin comes to mind as as a guy you can count on in the goal line situations, third down options. You even got a guy like Greg Carr, who I think was utilized back in the day as well. You also got a guy that I think, like Auden Tate, has been utilized in certain positions. So there have been receivers. Yeah, see? I mean, there is a ton of guys that you can turn to at Florida State that have been able to do that. But the last couple of seasons really hasn't been to their standards at that point. Now, Tamori and Terry was a tremendous receiver at Florida State. Wasn't his play style. Uh, you know, Nyquan uh, Murray, another guy, you know, Kermit Whitfield. There, there, there's been some guys here that have been successful, but they haven't been that physical specimen at receiver that you've really, really needed. And I right. think that's what Florida State's really been missing. 
while they have been seventh in the country in, in uh, red zone percentage and touchdown percentage in the red zone, I think they could be able to increase that number as much as it pains me to say. I mean, that's a, a very high bar to, to stand on at seventh in the country in red zone scoring, and you're getting into that top five at that point. But I really do think if Johnny Wilson can go to the jug machine, go ahead and get your catches in, making sure that you stay more consistent, making sure that you can be able to handle – and your durability handles out with being 6'7", 235 pounds, the sky is the limit for this offense. And I think that is someone that you can really bank on to be your guy that steps up. And I do span, I think he's going to be a developmental guy. I do think that he is an NFL guy that can translate to the NFL. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. I think it's going to be a couple more years because he is a quarterback converting over to wide receiver, kind of like a Brian Courtney, who I think is also going to be really good. Um. So I'm gonna touch base on this this gentleman that has made huge strides this offseason, who has done night and day difference on the practice field versus what I got to see last year. Um, Malik McLean. Yep. Y'all wanna know what his biggest issue was last year? Footwork. Yeah. He he told the whole story with his footwork. At, look, any any corner any DB knew what he was going to do three steps before he did it because of where his toes were pointed, how he was set up in the pocket, or how he was set up at the line, such of that nature. Now, he has learned a lot. You can say what you want to about uh, Coach Dugans as far as a recruiter, but as far as a wide receiver develop, he's developing Malik McLean, trust me. it There's a night and day difference. I'm starting to see separation from McLean where he's getting separation from DBs. He's not telling the whole story. Uh, right when he's at the line. Um, a lot of people knew we were running the ball based off inexperience at, at wide receiver, the way that they would be in their stance. When a guy's got his foot all the way about like he's about to run 100 yards and his hands are down in between him like this, they're running the ball. Like yeah. That's the fault. You don't ever do that in college. You can do that in high school all day and get away with it. You cannot yeah. do that in college. Malik is now looked to be set up on a slant, or a post route every play. And he goes straight into a block for a run. Y'all, you can't take a lot of – like Malik at least was a decent block receiver. Like he could at least block for a run. But he is going to – you're going to see a lot from Malik this year as far as – I agree. Separation. He's going to get a lot of balls across the middle, in my opinion. Um, he's also really good at the back shoulder catch. And Jordan's worked on that a lot with him. Uh, so – yeah, I think – look, guys, that's why I keep saying it's not far-fetched for us to be an eight- and nine-win team. It's just that we have to put it all together. If we don't put it all together, you can become a six-and-six and six or a seven-and-five-win team. But if you put it all together and they play the best that they can and they do all the things that they're being taught, you can win eight and nine games. It's not far-fetched. It's just you got to pull it together. And I'm not here to, like, tell anybody a lie or anything. I do think this team, as an overall team skill set, I think is a six- or a seven-win team. Now, can they elevate to that eight- or nine-wins threshold? I think some things have to go their way at that point. But I do think that it is possible. I'm not here blowing smoke telling you they're going to win ten games because the chances are they're probably not. I think it all depends on if Jordan Travis can stay healthy throughout the season and at least play ten games. But I do think that this defense is a top 30 defense. So that is something to hang your hat on at that point. Will you be able to get 
you know, average special teams like we talked about before and maybe be able to get that 75, 8, and 4 range that we're kind of talking about that Norvell's got to have to be able to be successful in his third year. And I think it is possible, but I just think you have to have some things go right. You know, you have to win early and you have to win late. You know, in the middle, you got a tough stretch there with a couple of different gauntlet games like Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson, you know, and then you go to Miami later on in the season. It just kind of depends on how you finish, you know, in that in that beginning stage and try to figure out what you got to do against LSU and Louisville and teams like that before you end the season off with Miami and Florida at the very end. Yeah, and here's the thing, guys. If they eliminate if they eliminate their mistakes, if we if we become more disciplined as a football team to eliminate the penalties, to eliminate getting in the third and longs, the the second and 22s because of a penalty, all these games are in grasp to win is what I'm trying to say. Will we win all of them? Probably not. But will we be competitive in every game? I don't think we're going to get blown out by anybody. I really don't. Saying that is if so that Jordan Travis is healthy. He has to be healthy for us to, to possibly win all those games. Yeah. If we beat LSU, it's going to set the tone for the rest of the season, no doubt. I agree. It will change the whole outlook of what this – look, if we would have beat Notre Dame last year, the first game of the season, we would have won more games than we did this year. It made these guys take a step back when we lost to Jacksonville. That You had to take a step back and really start finding yourself. Like, damn, we played great with Notre Dame, and then we came and just laid an egg playing against Jacksonville State. You can't do that this year. You can't lay an egg against LSU. You have to come out there and compete. You have to do your damnedest to win that game. If you pull that win off, I'll say we're going to get eight wins. No problem. But you have to win that game for me to say you're definitely going to get to eight, and and they still have to stay healthy. But – that's pretty much all I had for the show. Um, uh, everybody remember that this is also brought to you sponsor-wise by iHeartRadio. You can find all of our shows on iHeartRadio. Um, we're also on Spotify and Apple. We're also on Amazon. We're, we're on anywhere you can find podcasts. It's also brought to you by um, SeatGeek and Fanatics. Both of us are ambassadors of both. Um, it's also brought to you by... Um, uh, underdog fantasy, I think that's how they mm-hmm. call it. Right. Yeah. Um, with fifth quarter, which I want to thank fifth quarter for this, we got a huge opportunity to become sponsored by Underdog, which is a fantasy format. Uh, if you like playing fantasy sports, please go to Underdog. Um, you can use my code or go through my link that I'll post. And you can get your uh, deposit matched up to 100% up to $100. Or you can use Taylor's, which is Norvell Central, all caps. And, again, any amount of money that you deposit up to $100. So if it's 10 you get 20 If it's 20 you get 40 and so on. If you put in 100 you get 200 And I will say this, too. Um, on Underdog Fantasy, it actually isn't just fantasy football. It actually does a pick em challenge on there as well that you can do with a lot of different – let's just say if you wanted to watch a baseball game. I actually have a ticket on today for a pick pick em game uh, with, I believe, the Cardinals and the Reds. And basically I pick – you know, it's an over-under of 95 pitches. You know, you just literally pick over or under. 
you know, you have to pick two to be able to get the participation for that. And the more you pick is the better chances of money that you get. So if you pick five games, you get times six the amount that you put in at that point. So it's really easy. It's just over under. You have a 50% chance of being correct. It's not like you're having to pick a, a certain thing. You can do a couple of different things as well. I know there are some states that don't allow it, but I will say that I can get that list for you if you have any questions on that as well. Um, but that's all I got. Just make sure to use our codes and everything. We got a tremendous offer and opportunity with uh, fifth quarter to have that opportunity, but just really great to see that we're able to kind of get something started before the uh, football season starts. Absolutely. Everybody, I appreciate you listening and watching the show. Um, remember, we put out content like crazy. Taylor has more articles come out than ESPN. Um, <laughs> and I enjoy them. He, en he enjoys writing them, obviously, because he writes them nonstop. Um, I've got two articles coming to you this week. Um, Taylor probably's got 19. <laughs> but I can't write as much as he can. I don't know how he does it. But uh, I did drop a video before this one. Um, me and James will be going live Monday and on Spirits by Fifth Quarter. We'll have a special guest on. Then Tuesday, then I'll movement with me and James. And God knows when we're going to have a pop-up episode. You never know. So really appreciate everybody that supports us. Um, go Knowles, and everybody have a great rest of your weekend. And, hey, you can't say it enough. Go Knowles, down with the, the U down for the candy canes, and – the Gators can chomp on their own backside. Y'all have a good one. Yep. Go Knowles.